All right. We have uh, had our hearts prepared as we sing our praises to God and have had prayer this morning and it's gotten us ready for the Word of God. There was a man that actually owned most of a town. His name was Mr. Stamps. This is a real guy here, Mr. Stamps, and he always dressed like he bought his clothes at the Goodwill, or he got them out of some Goodwill box where people drop them in, and he just he just looked awful a lot of the times, but this man was an extremely wealthy man. Like I said, he owned most of the town. He owned the golf course, and he was walking around on the golf course one day, just walking all around it, and uh, he owned it, so he can do that, you know. And uh, all of a sudden, he was picked up by the police for vagrancy. He was actually put in jail because he was turned in by some people because they saw this man walking around looking like a homeless man, and it looked like he had no idea who he even was. It wasn't wrong to walk on that golf course, but the people just assumed because he dressed so shabbily the way that he did, he must have been out of place. So they kind of felt for him and had the police come and do their job. Uh, he didn't quite fit what would be the country club mentality. Outward looks certainly can be deceiving, can't they? Um, I think we can be deceived in what we choose, how we choose uh, people, and we can discriminate in a way that can uh, actually be sinful. And you can say, that's sinful? Well, as we look at our section today, we'll see that it is an out-and-out sin to show partiality. The key verse is actually found in where we started at last week in chapter 2 at verse 1, where it talked about personal favoritism. Don't show favoritism. And that actually can be close to home to all of us, even though we may not think so, um, but uh, it can be. It's more than we would ever really want to admit. Um, Our whole culture is actually built around this foundation, this favoritism, and uh, whether it be nationality, whether it be status, uh, our wealth, intelligence, uh, education, uh, occupation, our possessions, all of those things. And you might be asking, well, what really is favoritism? Don't show favoritism, it says. And uh, just a regular dictionary, I usually say, well, here's the Greek word for this, but a regular dictionary says a preferential attitude and treatment of a person or group over another having equal claims and rights. It's just a personal preferential attitude towards people. And so you choose people because it's uh, your preference. And another person might have just the same rights, but you choose somebody over somebody else. It's treating one person better than another, even though for some reason you know you just prefer that. There's no inherent, no intrinsic reason for uh, this kind of treatment of uh, favoritism. A person's looks has a lot to do with how people are uh, thought of and treated. And uh, I can just think of a a personal example. Um, uh, A relative of ours was not doing well as far as his uh, health is concerned, I guess you could say. And uh, he had to be taken into the hospital. And, of course, he had had uh, a bunch of stuff on his arm. 
And, uh, of course, uh, all of that was taken off, and there was, like, glue and stuff there. And maybe he wasn't quite, you know, ready to be presented in the hospital the way that uh, one would like to be. But uh, then they have medicine, and it kind of knocks you out. You just, you just need to go to the hospital. And, of course, uh, they evaluated by the way that he looked. And, uh, you know, he most probably to them thought he was a homeless man and, and just was... Uh, he must have looked like a wreck to them, and and uh, so in in that presentation to themselves, that uh, first look, they uh, thought he was uh, just not taken care of at all, and ought to be in a home. And he was called filthy by the doctor, which uh, really wasn't true at all. He's never a filthy person, but that's what was taken as. Uh, and so a lot of our judgments are absolutely wrong. Um, and so, you know, th- those kind of thoughts can, can happen easily to all of us, you know, in our own uh, natural nature. Person's looks, clothes, a pro- a profession that they uh, are involved with, their possessions, their lifestyle, education. We tend to favor a particular person over another. Outward attractions are, are there, and so we go that way. That's, that's a worldly way, but that's what's natural to us. And that's what was natural at the time of James as he wrote this letter. And you think, well, what does this have to do with us? Well, it has everything because we still have this, <clears throat> these kind of values that are still in us. You know, uh, The Lord's beating some of those out of us, but some of them are still there. Uh, it doesn't seem to bother us too much, I think, um, if we have that kind of prejudice. But the Lord shows that it's very much a sin. And when you look at this text, you'll see how much of a sin it really, really is. Now, the Christian can have this kind of problem and not even know it. That's the thing. Not even know we have this problem. Uh, and, and, of course, I think the next question is, is how well do I know the Bible? <laughs> because when we get in the Bible more and more, we see him uh, showing us things where we fall short of. If we don't understand it, I can tell you this, the Bible does understand us. <laughs> it's there. It's the mirror. And, of course, that's where we have started this whole uh, study on this kind of thought. It, that introduced us to where we're at. And do you see how solid James is from one verse to another verse to another text to another text? Do you see how related they are? But if one reads this at first sight, they tend to think that it's a book just full of just mangled thoughts and ideas, and that's okay, you know, do this, do this, don't do that, you know, that kind of thing, but you see it's all related, and uh, he just writes a different way than maybe Paul would write, but it's definitely in agreement with um, the rest of Scripture. Um, Anyway, we are to reflect the inward thoughts that are here that the Word of God has put into us. Uh, we're going to be talking about the royal law today. And I like that word royal, not because of Kansas City winning the World Series. <laughs> Just put that in there. Uh, but this kind of law makes us like Christ. Makes us like him. Um, a, a nature of no favoritism. And whenever he was walking the earth here, did he ever exhibit no favoritism? Who did he go to? The tax collectors, the sinners, the wicked people. He didn't go to the righteous. I came not to save the righteous, but what? The sinners. The sinners. 
course, everybody's a sinner. The problem is the word, the self-righteous ones didn't see themselves as sinners. And so there we go. It's, God treats everyone in the same manner. He doesn't lift people up because they're a king or president or they have a lot of money. He's not impressed of how people even dress. He's not impressed with people's money. He's not impressed with people's fame. Oh boy, we can do that, can't we? You know, we can put up our idolatry all the time and lift it up, but you know, all those things are a non-issue with God. This is a perfect attribute. This is an attribute of God that we don't often talk about. We don't think of these. They're not usually. This one's not even listed in books dealing with the attributes of God. Usually, don't put that there. But this is Him in that He is not prejudiced. Uh, he's not partial. Um, he treats all equal on their need of relationship to Him. With that in view, we're to exhibit that kind of attribute in our own lives. We are not to discriminate just for the fact of because somebody looks different. Or they are different. So that's a study of this topic that we really were looking at last week. And because of the length of this, we kind of split it in half, and now we move into another one that's really talking about the same thing, only now he's going to introduce love in all this. And uh, so that's that's where we're at. Uh, last week we looked at a couple of reasons um, for why partiality is wrong, and one of them was that it usurps God's sovereignty. His sovereignty takes away his sovereignty in our own thinking in, in that way. And it also aligns us with God's enemies. James has said that. We're taking away God's sovereignty and we're t- uh, actually uh, saying that we're, we're agreeing with God's enemies. So now we come to another reason why it's wrong because it violates God's law, the law of all laws, the law of love, the royal law. Let's stand and let's Turn to James. Aren't we privileged to open up the Bible and turn to James 2, starting in verse 8. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But, if you show partiality... You are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Father, thank you for your word. And a text that we're so familiar with, we know about this. And it would be so easy to just kind of... um, kind of go to sleep on this one and let it just kind of go over our heads because it, once again it's talking about your love the love that's instilled in us and what we are to do with it 
help us to be open to this and show us something that you are trying to get through to us. Help us to see something new in a, that needs to be seen that we haven't thought about. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. James 2, verse 8. Verse 8 and 9 is, Partiality violates the law of love. It violates the law. When one shows partiality, it violates the law of love. If you are fulfilling, it says, if however you are fulfilling, if you claim to be fulfilling the law of love, you're doing well, keep it up. Keep doing it, because that's what you are to do. If you're doing that, you're doing well. Hey, it is well with my soul, right? We're doing well. So as his readers, though, might be starting to congratulate themselves and patting themselves on the back, James comes up with, boom, the knockout punch in verse 9. But if you show partiality, you are, what? Committing sin. Whoa, really? It's that bad? So he says, if, however, you are fulfilling, or since you are fulfilling, that's in the Greek, it can mean that, and and it's in the sense that, yes, some of them were doing it. They, They were doing this thing that we've already talked about, you know, and not being partial. If you're doing that, you're doing well. And so it can mean something that is taking place right now and has been happening. And that's the tense of that. And no doubt it's in many cases. You know, there have been times in our life when, when we've actually done that too, right? Fulfilling the royal law. According to the scriptures, loving your neighbor as yourself. Um, so you do well. The royal law. Let, let's get to that. Since that's a title, royal law. Royal. What, what is the royal law? Well, royal deals with really a king. It deals with a kingdom. It's a kingly law. This is coming down from the king. It's a sovereign law. I love the word sovereign. Do you guys like that word? Sovereign law. And and that's really literally the meaning of that. It's a sovereign law. It's a kingly law. It is uh, supreme. It's the supreme law. It's the law of laws. There is nothing above this kind of law. This is it. I mean, this is really the whole scripture wrapped up in one as far as um, doing what God has told us to do. His law is supreme. His law is sovereign. It's binding upon us because it comes from the king. We are his subjects. The king is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he sends down the law for us to fulfill. So it's a rule, and who are we to ever question it, right? And I don't think any Christian would say, no, I am not going to love my neighbor. I am not going to do that. No Christian can really do that because First John says, if that's what you're saying, then you're not a believer. He tests you. And if somebody says, I hate people. I've heard Christians. And I put quotes by that because James and, and First John actually says that they're not Christians. But I've actually heard some people profess to be Christians that they hate people. Everything would be great if it was just me. (laughs) Whoa! That is not from God. It's not even close, is it? Um, But what what they're doing is they're resisting the law that comes straight down from the sovereign. And this is the law of all laws. This is the royal law. This is the supreme law. It's love your neighbor as yourself. And everybody has ever heard that. You know, that this is not something just hidden in scripture. 
that nobody's ever heard about. Matter of fact, non-Christians know this. Love your neighbor as yourself, you know. Of course, they like to, to emphasize yourself. Love yourself. And we know that's really where they're really taking that at. But this is the great commandment. I mean, this is it. Um, this is taken right out of uh, Leviticus. It's taken out of Deuteronomy. This is the law. It's not like James is saying this for the first time. Boy, do we see this in Scripture, don't we? We see it in the law. We see it in the Gospels. We see Jesus talk about it in all four Gospels. We see it in the book of Romans. We see it in Galatians. Uh, let's turn to Deuteronomy just to start with, because it all starts with a love of God. It's pursuing God, loving Him. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 5. Hear, O Israel, this is the Shema, right? This is what the Jewish people would say every day. This is what it's about. This is where it starts. This is the first table of the law. You know, have no other gods before me, right? And, and that the first four commandments are all dealing with loving God. So, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, is our God. The Lord, Yahweh, is one. He's, he's one God. The triune God is one God. There's unity there. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. That sounds like a song, right? These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And then he says, I want you to teach them. I want you to teach them to your kids. Wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, always have this surrounded right there. Love God. Because that's where it starts. You can't love your neighbor without loving God. If you love God, he, we know He loves us, and that's the only reason why we can love somebody else, because it's His agape, because we cannot have agape. No matter how much we'd like to do it, we can't love somebody unless we love God, or God loves us. Now we have His love now to give to others. And so it starts with that one. So that's why I start with Deuteronomy. Now, in James, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. He just assumes they already know that. The Jewish people did that every day. And even when they became Christians, I'm sure they probably continued to say the Shema every day, three times a day, you know, morning, noon, night. Uh, that, I mean, they knew that, didn't they? So he didn't have to emphasize that they, yet, but now he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Where'd that come from? Did Jesus make that up and just pull that out, uh, you know, out of the thin air? Uh, well, we go to Leviticus chapter 19, 19, 18. This is the law, uh, you know, the, the first five books, right? It's the Pentateuch. And Le Leviticus nineteen eighteen is going to say just what James said. You shall not take vengeance. We never have the right to take vengeance, do we? Nor bear any grudge. How do you love your neighbor? Don't take vengeance. Yeah, but you don't know what they did. He said, okay, I'm not going to say anything to him, but I'm going to have a grudge. He said, no, you can't do that either. Nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people. But here's what you've got to do. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to put a little authority behind it. I am the Lord. <laughs> He doesn't give us the right to ever even have a grudge. You know, just to put it up there. I'm not going to say anything. I'll never forget it. I'll forgive him, but I'll, I'll never forget. Ah, you, you just blew it. <laughs> That's not forgiveness, is it? Right? But have you heard that before? Have you ever said it? Well, probably so. 
God said there's a law. There's a binding law. It's a sovereign law. It's a royal law. It comes from the king of kings. And he says, I'm binding this on you. You love your neighbor as yourself. And you don't worry about all that little stuff. I'll take care of it. I'm the one who repays the sin. Um, The supreme law. If you love God, you cannot help but to love others. Because he has put that there. The only thing is, even though it's a commandment, it's not automatic. It's not easy. It's not because the flesh is still here. It's hard sometimes to love others because they're not treating you very well. you know. But he says, don't worry about that. You love your neighbor. When they don't deserve it, yeah, yeah. Well, we know that this is nothing new here, is it? But we need to be reminded Boy, this is quoted in the Gospels. Look at Matthew chapter 22. Let's see what Jesus says. You think he knew the law? Oh, he fulfilled the law, didn't he? Matthew 22 comes right down from the King of Kings who came down to earth so that we could be saved. What's he say about the law? What's he say about this law? Uh, Well, let's start at verse 34. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question. Testing him. Teacher, what's the great commandment in the law? Tried to stump him up, right? What's the great commandment? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. We We just read that, didn't we? Deuteronomy chapter 6. Jesus says that, that that's it. that's the Shema. Uh, did the, did the, the, that lawyer know that? <laughs> Every Jew knew that. He says this is the great and foremost commandment. This is the spring. The second is like it. It's just as valuable. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Where did Jesus get that? Right out of the law. We just read it, didn't we? We looked in Leviticus. We looked in Deuteronomy. He's quoting exactly what the whole Ten Commandments are about. He doesn't even quote the Ten Commandments there. He could have said those. But he did it in short form. He did the first table, which is loving God, and the second table, which is loving your neighbor, saying you don't steal, right? You don't commit adultery. You don't commit murder. Um, all those commands, right? No, no lying, no coveting. And uh, he just summed that all up. And he says, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. This is everything. This, You want to uh, memorize the Bible? We'll start with this. Love God, love your neighbor. Boom. I'm not so sure the Pharisees did that. I'm not so sure the lawyers did that. I'm not so sure anybody in the land did this. It's a hard one to follow. Well, let's look in Romans 13. Let's take the great theologian, the great writer of theological text that were very deep. Romans 13, verse 9. Owe nothing to anyone, in verse 8, except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. There we go. For this, You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. And he says, you shall not steal. You shall not covet. It doesn't bring up everything. But he says, if there's any commandment summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There it is again. 
Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. It's not just by rote. It's like if you love God, then why would you ever want to rob from anybody? Why would you ever want to uh, commit adultery, commit murder? Why would you want to covet what they have? You know, it goes on and on, you know. And uh, so there we have it, the first and second table. Love is the ruling principle. Love God, love your neighbor. It's not an emotional experience at all. Uh, It's doing what is right. You see, there's the problem, isn't it? Because our emotional aspect comes up and says, you know, and it it starts raging in the middle. Love God, love your neighbor. Okay? Now you've got a choice. See? Are you going to obey the, the, the kingly law or are you going to obey the kingly ruling flesh because <laughs> it wants to win and it's it's not an emotional experience at all you can say well if I don't feel it then it's not right it's hypocritical act upon what you know God will give you the ability to do it and you may have trouble getting over the emotions well that's all right. Just do what you know to be right because it's empowered from Him anyway. If you're at a marriage ceremony, you don't hear the minister go, okay, listen, um, how do you feel about her? And what are you going to do when you don't feel so good about her? You know, There's going to be times, and, and you're just going to take off, and, and he says, yeah. He says, okay. Whatever your feeling is, that's that's really you know the kind of love that that we're after. Uh, oh boy, we'd all be in trouble, wouldn't we? Um, the minister never asks about the feelings, but he does ask, "Will you take her? Will you love her? Will you promise to do this? Will you promise to do that?" Right? It's doing, it, not not the feelings. At the time, you know, the feelings are there, right? Those feelings do come and they definitely go and they come and they go. I'm feeling this. This is what I feel about it. You know, uh, oh, I'm just not feeling it. Have you ever heard that one before? I'm just not feeling it today. Yeah, but we're dependent on you. I'm just not feeling it. You know, I'm not sensing that. It, love involves care. It involves concern. And, uh, of course, that's what James is getting at. It's treating people fairly, uh, impartially. Uh, that's a biblical love. Just treating people just fairly, without uh, any kind of partiality at all. Uh, based upon the neighbor's need. Meet that na- need that they have the same way that you want to meet your own need. Hmm. That's a tough one, isn't it? Own needs. Your own needs. You meet your own needs, then that means to show the same care for the need of others. They have a need, then you show that. You care about your own feelings, right? Well, then care about the feelings that they have. They have the same care. You care about your own desires, right? Well, then care about their desires. Boy, now it's getting some deeper type of stuff here. The royal law. Wow. Who is my neighbor? We could turn uh, to Luke 10 and and read the Good Samaritan. And you know the story, right? And so there is one who took care of what should have been this guy's enemy, took care of him, and of course the you know the brought him in and even paid for 
uh, his stay, and and if the the innkeeper had more charges, he said, you know, put it on my bill, basically. <laughs> and uh, that's that is the royal law. That's going not just being quiet about you know when somebody offends you, but it's doing something when you think, well, that's not my deal. So that's an idea of what it means if we we were to look at that uh, good Samaritan. What doesn't it mean? And of course, we'll get to that. It just it's just a few seconds to hang on this when we've mentioned it so many times. But uh, many people have taken this text here: "Love your neighbor as yourself," and they say, "Well, I have to love myself first before I do this." Um, there's only two commands here: love God, love your neighbor. You don't see love yourself. It's not there's a, not a command about loving yourself. There's only two great commandments here. John Calvin saw this centuries ago. Well, yeah, centuries ago when he wrote about this. Yeah, there were the same people saying this same thing that they're saying today. He says this, and obviously since men were born in such a state that they're all too much inclined to self-love, and however much they deviate from truth, they still keep self-love. There was no need of a law that would increase or rather enkindle this already excessive love. Hence, it's a very clear that we are to keep the commandments not by loving ourselves, but by loving God and our neighbor. That's the thing. We all, that's our problem is that we are so sensitive to ourselves' needs, Right? We already do that. It's it's intrinsic. I mean, that's that's what we do. It's not just going around hating yourself. And people that say, I hate myself, you know, now they're even loving themselves even more because they're really focused on self and not anybody else. The best way to get your mind off yourself and all your needs is start looking at others and it'll change pretty quick. And so uh, there's no need of a law to love yourself. It's already there. You know, we take care of ourselves, you know, we... It's it's a, it's a yeah the nature <laughs> and we know what the nature can do right uh, so uh, there's a turning of the tables James has here I have that on, on the outline turning the tables uh, James uh, does that here as he sets this up as he says but if you show partiality you are committing sin you're committing sin. What? I mean, this is such a little thing. You know, this is a contrast. If you show favoritism, I have a word for you. It's sin. (laughs) And he uses the same kind of thing. But, but, if you. And, And this, like the other one, indicates that it's happening. There were some people, believe it or not, at that time, even in the early church, that were not practicing loving your neighbor as yourself, and they were committing sin. Can you believe that? That's why he writes this. This is what's going on. But some of them were doing that. They were practicing that. And they were doing well, right? Uh, And so it can be taken as a statement of fact when it says, but if you show part. They were were doing it. they They kept on doing it. Now, God has a word for partiality. It's in Deuteronomy. Back to the law again in Deuteronomy one seventeen. You shall not show partiality in judgment 
You should hear the small and the great alike. You should not fear man, for the judgment is God's. The case is too hard for you? Well, you bring to me and I'll hear it. I command you at that time all the things that you, you should do. <laughs> so he's giving, here's, here's what you do. You know, here's how you treat your fellow countrymen. And your, oh boy, can you imagine if, if uh, people in, a, in America would, would do that? If they would treat uh, like that in the courts and, and in the government and in the schools? Uh, well, that means you'd have a lot of Christians, wouldn't you? <laughs> Uh, chapter 16, verse 19. You shall not distort justice. You shall not be partial. You shall not take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and perverts the words of the righteous. Don't distort justice. Don't be partial. Favoring one over another when there's no need for that at all. And, you know, the world is trying to stress out, uh, take, uh, take away uh, some of the, the sins of mankind. Oh, and, and they're telling, you know, like now on campus, and what a mess that is, isn't it? Yes. What an absolute rebellion that's going on there on campus. I have never seen the like where students can oust people out of their uh, positions. This is rebellion. It has nothing to do with love. It is uh, that is absolute selfishness, is what it is. Now, I am in, in no way are we for um, uh, race problems, you know. Uh, and so here we have, uh, I, I think, the world trying to figure out all the problems, and there's only one way to solve this issue. They're, they need to think we're going to get that done on campus. I, I can tell you if they continue to go the way they are, there is going to be a lot of problems there. And it's going to continue to get worse unless something uh, gets under control. But you just don't give in to people who are starting a rebellion, a one person. You cannot do that. And um, even though it needs to wake up some people, there are different ways to go about it. So there's my political thing that I put forth. But... The world has a lot of problems, and there's only one who can solve it, and it's Jesus Christ. We have the answer. And it won't be solved, ultimately, until Christ comes back, and He will solve it all. He will do it. The world will continue to have its sin, and its rebellion, and all the things that go with it. Oh, you just watch the news every day, and there's always something else going on. The world tells on itself. (laughs) And that's coming from the uh, elite and uh, so, you know, the whole free speech thing is being shot too, isn't it? And we're having our very laws that had a Christian basis, a biblical basis behind it. And now those things are being shot. Uh, anyway. Uh, yeah. Um, he says it's sin. Hamartian means to miss the mark. To, miss, to, to fall short of the mark. You have a target, you have an arrow, and it's like, boom, it's on its way, and it goes like that. Whoop, missed the mark. Never hits it. That's that's the, the nature of man. Transgress means to go beyond the boundary, to go upon, uh, to go beyond the limits, to go past something that God has set forth. That's, again, breaking, breaking His law. Um, 
people can say, well, you know, this whole thing about partiality is not that big of a deal. <laughs> you know, we haven't been committing adultery. You know, we haven't been committing murder. You know, um, we we keep the important commandments. You know, the law. You know, maybe we haven't always treated the poor the way that we should have. You know, that's what they're saying. And so James comes up with this punchline, and he says, if you're doing it, you are in sin. Wow. James, come on. Um, so that's where our part two comes in, it, it, to violate God's law in any way. I don't care which, which law, it's a serious matter. It's a it's a real serious issue. And you can say, well, okay, um, whoever shall keep the whole law, right? And yet offend in one area, he's what? He's a transgressor. He's guilty. Well, how many laws do you have to break to be a lawbreaker? How many laws do you have to break to be a transgressor? How many sins do you have to commit to be characterized as a sinner? Uh, law breaking, it's like a window. And a baseball hits one area, just up the very top. Man, it just missed that window, but it was, and it all falls. Or you're driving all the way to New York City, all the way back. You kept the speed limit. That's an amazing thing. All the way there and all the way back until you got into the city limits of Jefferson City and you're still doing 70 miles an hour where it says 40. And the policeman stops you. The red light's going. He said, uh, did you know how fast you were going? How fast? You're going 70 and a 40. Oh, yeah, but you don't know. I've gone thousands of miles, and I never broke it once. So that should, uh, you know, the shell help for something here, right? You just broke the law. You broke the law. Or, uh, as you see so often in football, you're at the one-yard line. You complete a pass up around the 50-yard line. The guy runs, goes all the way down, and out goes the flag from the pocket of the referee. And one of your guys made an illegal block. Put it on the one-yard line, right? No. The play has to go all the way back. They broke the law. <laughs> one little block. Plus a penalty. Plus a penalty on that. Yeah. <laughs> Don't make it worse, right? Okay, one point, and that's really what he's saying. For for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. You've broken all the commandments. It, it, it doesn't matter. The whole mirror has just broke. Um, it all hangs together. This, the two tables of the law and all the law that's there. We have an obligation to God's sovereign law, right? The kingly law. One point. And the moment we do that, we're defying the very word of God. We're defying it. We're denying full love and a devotion to God when we do that, as we are to obey Him in everything, heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
And what we're really saying is this. I'm not going to submit to you in that area. Thank you, King. Thank you, Sovereign God. But I'd rather do this. Now, we don't say that, but that's really what we're saying. So we are lawbreakers. We're lawbreakers. You break one small part of the law, and this one doesn't seem so bad. I mean, can you compare this one to adultery and murder? I mean, really, okay, you have a little bit of an attitude of favoritism. That seems like nothing compared to murder. And you know, to God, it is the same thing. Now, that to me doesn't sound right. Well, that's my natural man. God says, no, it's the same. Wow, are you, are you kidding me? He, he mentions murder here <laughs> and adultery in this, which, you know, nobody would ever think about doing that. He says you, you stumble. If, if you stumble in one point, you're guilty. And he can say, I thought, well, all sins are really not the same, though, are they? Well, they're not as equally heinous. Right? Not all sins are equally damaging. All the consequences are, are absolutely different. But they all, any, com, uh, any command that's broken, does shatter to the unity of God's law. Uh, but for the fact of, okay, say, okay, well, listen, if I've committed a, a sexual act in my own mind, now that's sin, right? When you follow through with it in your own mind, you're thinking, keep thinking on it, that's sin. So, as R.C. Sproul says, then, he said, uh, he's had people say that. Well, if I thought it in my mind, then I might as well go ahead and do it then, right? Because I've already sinned against God. No. That's what, you're not stop it right there, right? Um, sexual sins are worse than some other sins. Uh, look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 18. I mean, it's a heinous sin. And boy, do we have this sin in our culture, in our world. And every part of the world, and ever since there has been sin, this problem has been there. First Corinthians six eighteen. Flee immorality. Flee, run from it. Get out of there. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral. Man sins against his own body. Taking this immorality here, this sexual sin that he has, and he says, now you've sinned against your own body in, in this inward sense. Mental lust is sin, but it's worse if we commit the immorality. How about anger? Anger is a sin, right? You can be a good person, you can think, but... Have a little bit of anger. Now we're lawbreakers. You thought about when when anger arises? Boy, that can happen quite frequently. You just broke the law. I just, I just broke the law. I am guilty. Matter of fact, to God, it's guilty of murder. Murder. Jesus talked about that. Um, if we go before the court. Let's say a man actually commits murder. He goes before the court. And he says, yeah, okay, um, I did. But listen, I've been a faithful husband and father. I never even had a traffic ticket. 
I never robbed a bank. I never hurt anybody. I never beat up my neighbor over there. Now, this man committed murder. He's guilty of breaking the law. Thought he was following all the other ones, right? It's interesting. Isn't it? Why would James go to the extremities of bringing up murder and adultery and comparing it with a little bit of prejudice? <laughs> why? What? James, the, come on. You are really extending this out a little bit too far. Yeah, I admit it's a sin. Okay, I don't want to do that. But James, you can't compare it to such a heinous sin here, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I might have been partial towards the rich versus the poor, but hey, uh, I've been faithful to my wife. I didn't commit adultery. James mentions it first when he mentions adultery here. Um, then he goes on to mention murder. To commit partiality is to commit murder. That's Boy, that's what it is. It, discrimination against the poor. Failure to love one's uh, neighbor or somebody that uh, doesn't even deserve it is associated here in this text with murder. That, you know, the more and more you think about it, you say, it is. It's associated with that. It, it's it's almost like verse and then another verse. I mean, they're together here. James didn't even write down the verse numbers here. They're together. Adultery and murder, really. Uh, why would he mention uh, adultery and murder? Well, in the law, they are the two most severe social sins that there are, and they're so um, vital to be followed because they both have the death penalty attached. Adultery, murder. Adultery, they had the, they had the death penalty to that? Yeah. Does God take adultery serious? Oh, yes. James, why are you bringing up these two terrible, heinous... Because I'm telling you, if you're partial to people, you are on the level of a murderer, an adulterer. Man, James, aren't you... What's that? It also leads to that. Exactly. Take you right there, won't it? Continue with that way. That's right. So if you if you commit no adultery, yet if you kill, you become a transgressor. Or if you don't commit adultery and don't commit murder, but you commit prejudice, you've just committed something that really should, you should be judged guilty and sent to hell for it. Now that's that's heavy. <laughs> And if somebody didn't break any of the sins, and which is impossible, let's say they didn't break any of the sins, but the prejudice thing, they would still be sent to hell if they didn't have Christ covering them by His action on the cross. Partiality is as serious as a sin as adultery and murder. Don't dismiss partiality as no big deal. That's what James is saying. And so when you see such a simple text here, and you go, man, that James, he's a legalist, isn't he? And some people like to write off James and just kind of put him on the side because he's he's a works doer. You know, he, he's not by grace. No, he compliments everything that Paul writes. And, and we need that too. Um, 
favoritism is, is no small matter. It's in various, I think, very serious company, as, as he puts it with uh, murder. Um, when somebody hates another, they're not loving, they're, then they're hating. And that's the idea behind what? Murder. There's where the leading of that goes. So we have to rank it with serious sins. And that's what James does even though it's been written all throughout the text of the Bible and we've seen it, love your neighbor, have yourself, man, James is really getting to the point, isn't he? This is tough, James. You think at one time he loved Jesus? His half-brother? So, James makes two points here as we move on. And it's about... We're about near the end here. Um, so speak and so act. Okay, You say it, you act upon it. As those who are to be judged by the law of liberty, for judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The law of liberty for the believer. Um, one can say, wait a minute, I thought believers were not to be judged at all. Because we just said earlier about the sins being cast as far as the east is from the west. My sin has been taken away from me. And now we're saying that Christ, um, who bore our judgment on the cross, is now our judge. Uh, this, it says, judged by the law of liberty. And in Romans 8.1, we know that now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. John 5.24 is saying the same thing. You have eternal life. That you know the the sins have been taken care of. That's that's dealt with. But in Second Corinthians five ten, we have the other aspect as being a Christian. We say, well, hey, I like all that part. Uh, this this judgment part. What were you talking about? Of course, really, we're talking about the judgment seat of Christ. But in in Second Corinthians five ten, it says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's Christians so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We're not talking about salvation here, but we are talking about how uh, what the rewards will be as Christ judges. Romans 14, I think, is a really good text. Romans 14, 10 through 12. Romans 14. But you, why, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. There's the account. First Corinthians 3 talks about rewards or rewards being taken away of the Christians. Our sins have been judged and removed, but yet... And we know we've been justified, uh, trusting in Christ, having faith in Christ. And it's not by works, but here's the law of liberty. And you can say, well, why is it a law of liberty uh, or a law of freedom? Because it frees us from the slavery of sin. It frees us from the bondage of sin. The law of liberty. It frees us from the curse of death. An eternal judgment, the curse of hell. Because now you have a new motivation in your hearts. 
Everything that we now do, we want to do out of love for God. And because of that, you can't help but love your neighbor. Our, and so then he's talking about, here's the words. We have the words. We are also to have the actions. And of course, James is going to slide right into that in the next text. New motivations, godly actions that we can now have. To live in light of the fact that we will soon be standing before the face of Jesus Christ at the throne. That makes you think about how we live now, doesn't it? And knowing that He will reward us for our faithful obedience. We want that faithful obedience and we want Him to say, Well done, good and faithful servant, don't we? Those who do not show mercy are to be judged without mercy. And that's what James is saying. By the way, we've already been shown mercy, haven't we? And um, Christians have that mercy and we know that. Um, Christians are called to show it. But if we profess to know Christ, but we don't show mercy, we don't ever show it, then that profession is what? It's worthless. James has been talking about that and he'll move on to a little bit further at the end. Uh, when one stands before God and they have never practiced mercy in their life, they will show that they really are not real. And so if they were, God gave them times of mercy and yet they did not trust in Him. We don't want to go that way, do we? And we see the very last line of our James text here this morning. And it ends on a very gracious note as Scripture so often does. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. We just touched on that. That makes sense. And look at the last line. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And look at that in your salvation. It was mercy. Mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. If your life is characterized by mercy, if you're Christian, it is going to be, you will triumph over judgment. You will escape that judgment, that's that uh, being judged for a sin. Uh, it's a transformed life. That's what happens. Uh, are we concerned? I think this what this should do is behoove us more to be more concerned about people, to be more gracious, to be kind, to be thoughtful, to be merciful to them. That, that's the first issue. And the second one as a Christian I think it's an exhortation to be certain that we're living out these principles in in the Church of Christ, and then we're showing love for one another. You know, going one step further than we have before. If that's the pattern of your life, it is well with your soul, right? It's evidence of your faith in Christ. To the Christian who doesn't show much mercy, it can mean that that Christian doesn't understand what happened at the cross. That's where we really look at mercy. Because if we look at the cross, then we'd treat that other person the way that we want to be treated. You remember the Pharisaical son in the, the parable of the prodigal son? Man, that, that brother, and I think he's a, a picture of the world. I think he's a picture of the sinner. He did not understand mercy, did he? Remember that other son? It's a picture of an unbeliever. What is that song? Uh, oh, 
Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Liberty. You see, the law of liberty has set us free. So now we have everything we need to practice the kind of love that Christ has. We've got a long way to go. But I'll tell you what, God has shown that in us. We have worked it out. He says, keep it up. You're doing well. Keep doing it. Do it more. Mercy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Oh, my Lord. It's ever a reminder as we look in the mirror how in our own selves we fall so far short of your great, awesome glory. We have not arrived. But you are here to remind us something that even the youngest child knows that they are to love others and yet we are to take another step. Thank you for your truth and the Holy Spirit who empowers us. Oh, that we can be lovers of the church and lovers of the unbeliever. Thank you. In Jesus' name.